We're back, baby. We are back. We're at the top of my house. I took a couple flights from the kitchen. I'm just below the roof in my attic. That's where I hang out. That's where we do this show. This show is called Philanthropy and Focus. And the focus is that I'm focusing on leaders of nonprofit organizations. I'm having them come on and do two things with me. Tell their story. And I'm here to help them do that and amplify the message. Amplify the message what, Tommy? Well, that nonprofits change our world, gang, every single week. If it wasn't for these organizations, if it wasn't for the leaders of these organizations and their teams, the work just doesn't get done. It's, that's it. That's the, that is matter of fact. That's just the answer. The work does not get done. Every week, I'm going to bring you another nonprofit leader. In fact, with two weeks that I took off at the end of last year when our network uh, took a vacation at the end of the year, Today represents, even with those two weeks off, the 67th episode of a show that was just a freaking idea, man. It was an idea that I walked around and said, hey, man, I'm going to have a radio show and I'm going to talk to leaders of nonprofits every week. As important as these organizations are, the leaders are incredibly important. Uh, And I know my nonprofit folks are like, it's not about me, Tommy, man. It's about my team. And I get it. Of course, it's about the team. But leadership is critical in these organizations. And... Back last September, I decided I was looking for some coursework. I was looking for something to, so I'm the nonprofit sector connector, right? So when you anoint yourself with a name like that, you got to get some credibility around that. And it can't just be, I like to go to galas and I like to win baskets. There's got to be some real juice behind that. So I went looking for some coursework. I went looking for connections and I found the Institute for Nonprofit Practice. And last September, I began this cohort in the course certificate program at the Institute and you know, I, I knew I'd learn a lot and I knew I'd, I'd, uh, I'd garner a lot of knowledge, but because I'm the networking guy and I'm all focused on relationships, what I knew most of all is that I would make great connections with new connections, new people, new friends. And I will tell you, I'll use this word. Uh, it might not be the right word, but I'm sometimes intimidated in these conversations when I go to school because, man, these folks are so smart and they're knowledgeable about a place in a sector that I'm just continuously learning about. And that's not to beat me up. It's not self-deprecating. It's just like we're all here to evolve and get better. And through these relationships and connections is how we do that. So I feel blessed that that I've met these folks. I, I look forward to these relationships lasting for years. And um, Today's guest is somebody who we we only know each other for a short time, but I feel like just knowing him, it's caused me to be more thoughtful about a lot of what I do, uh, more thoughtful about impact and more thoughtful about something that I say all the time, the ripple effect. What's the ripple effect? What is the ripple effect of what we're doing? What is the ripple effect of the, the decisions we make, the connections we make, the relationships we make and create? And how big can that go, man? I always tell people all the time, I say it's infinite. I believe that. I believe we walk around with buckets of pebbles and we get to throw these pebbles and sometimes stones and rocks in the pond and the ripples can go on because one ripple hits another ripple hits another ripple. And they're just, wow, the hairs on the back of my neck stood up when I said that, but it is that big. It's that sort of impact. So my guest today, who I will read some background on and introduce in a second is is somebody I I call a friend now. And I know we have this really cool connection and I'm I'm just jazzed that um, knowing you, Michael, and getting to know you more and more is is really making a a massive impact on the way I see the world and um, the way I see service. And I thought we'd start with this. So, so Michael, I found a quote this morning. It's not a quote that's new to me, but I did a little research on the woman whose quote it actually is. And you'll like this. She's a cultural, oh, she was a cultural anthropologist. 
Yeah. So I will read this quote, and I'm sure you know many have heard it, and you might have heard it as well. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Margaret Mead. So, Michael, just come off mute. Let's get you into this conversation right away. Good morning, man. Welcome to the show. Welcome to my attic. What's up? What's going on, brother? How you doing? Hey, everyone. Tommy D. Thank you for having me on your show and everyone out there listening. I'm really excited to be in conversation today. I, I'm, I'm in the attic, right? <laughs> I'm in the attic. And it's interesting how relationships can build, um, you know, no matter the space. Um, COVID forced us to change and think about that a little bit. Um, but it's wonderful to see you and to be in conversation today and to just talk about those relationships, right? That matter so mo- so important, that matter the most to how we change that world. So I'm excited to jump in. I'm excited to have you here, man. And I, it's funny, like I'm a guy who's, I, I actually was at an event uh, yesterday afternoon for uh, Transitional Services for New York, which is a mental health agency that serves 4,000 individuals uh, with mental health issues in the boroughs, uh, New York City. And, you know, it was great to be out in the public again. And it's, it was kind of strange, you know, it is May 6th today of 2022 and people with masks, people without masks. And it was like, wow, we're still like in this thing. But I will tell you, I was always out like that. So I never, not that I never used Zoom, but I almost never used Zoom before, before this world kind of changed. And the fact that, you know, you and I have met in the physical form when you were being honored up in the Bronx uh, towards the end of last year, but um, a lot of folks and most of our other classmates, I haven't met at all. In, in like in that physical form, which is uh, and you still create these incredible relationships, even though we're not sharing a physical space, you know, we're sharing this virtual space. But um, look, I, I, there's so much I could read about you and, and give some background. And I am going to mention some of it, but I really want this to be you telling your story because, you know, it is your story. So um, let me let me just kind of go to my notes real quick. So. Michael is, is really he's a social impact leader. He's conducted policy research on increased access to higher education, which I'm sure we'll get into today. Uh, worked at Young Movement Incorporated, focusing on post-secondary success. Co-founded an organization called Bronx, the Bronx Brotherhood Project, focused again on college success. Recently, this just came up last week, but you recently joined the board for the Association of Neighborhood and Housing Development, right? That's awesome. So we got to get into that. Spent some time at South Bronx Rising and currently the executive director of Bronx Cooperative Development Initiative. Listen, where does this all start? Like, I got this one line I wrote down. What are you going to do, Michael Partis? Because that stuck with me in a conversation one time. So, like, and my answer to that is you've done a ton. You're going to do so much more. Let's just kind of chop it up as we talked about on text this morning. Break it up. Break up the story for me, man. Let's get going. Yeah, no worries. Um, I think something really important in my origin is uh, family, family and place. Places matter a lot and my family matters a lot. Um, you know, my family is from Belize and we're a ethnic group called the Garifuna. Um, and Garifuna folks, there's a lot to say. That's a whole show unto itself. But one of the key things about being a Garifuna person is a deep, deep sense of justice, a deep, deep sense of commitment to values um, and values that really recognize people um, and values that are grounded in how we treat one another. And I learned a lot of those values, you know, my grandmother and my mother, the matriarchs, you know, as Mother's Day is coming up uh, and just thinking about how influential they have been, the women in my life, particularly my grandmother on the values piece. She always told me, treat others how you want to be treated. 
Very simple. Whenever we wanted to think about retaliation or vengeance or any of those things, he said, treat others like how you want to be treated. And I think that's something that stuck with me a lot. And that also speaks to place. So I was born and raised in the South Bronx, uh, 1016 Bryant Avenue. I I grew up across the street from PS 75 Park. Uh, My family laid roots there in 1977. And still to this day, we've been there. And a lot of what I saw in that South Bronx is different than what you read, is different than what you hear. Poorest congressional district, not 62 health, like, yes, all of that. But in terms of values, right, a lot of what I learned about mutual aid and a lot of what I learned about giving came from those folks, right? Um, Thinking about giving, you know, this show is about philanthropy and, and those are my early experiences of philanthropy. And it's not about big checks and it's not about endowments those things help <laughs> yeah no doubt no, but what is it so what does that mean then so it wasn't mm-hmm. about so if you say you know poorest congressional district and, and so that it sounds to me you're talking there wasn't a lot to give but those who didn't have a lot still did did a lot right i think it, there was an abundance to give and i think a lot of what we gave was our time we gave yeah. a lot of our thoughts so if folks needed something the community would quickly organize around um whatever it is, whatever is material needs, whether, you know, funerals would be a a really classic example. Somebody passed away. We always make sure that we had a way to share money, that we had a way to contribute to make sure people were properly uh, buried. When we wanted to celebrate, right? In summertime, when we have barbecues and when we have any kind of gathering, people chip in and people bring things for um, one another. I think this piece around mutual aid and around giving, right? The philanthropy piece is not just those with money, right? right? But I think that mutual aid aspect of showing up the way that people need, being abundant with what you do have, and practicing what we call reparosity, which is, you know, I treat others the way I want to be treated, and that makes an equal kind of relationship. That's what I saw in the South Bronx. I grew up, and that's what, you know, to my grandmother's point, uh, treat others how you want to be treated. And a lot of my people in my network, so that is how I got to be the, I think, first and foremost, how I got to be the leader and how I went on this path was, you know, I have to give respect to a lot of the folks in my family mm-hmm. and in my community who talked about giving, right? Mm-hmm. And giving with purpose, giving with justice, giving with a sense of equity and giving with, you know, being true to yourself. And so that set me on a path to really be educated, right? I took school pretty seriously. Always um, was with school. And, and I think, you know, that comes from, from your grandmother as well with school, like even as a young young guy you know high school or and you always focus on the education piece definitely my mother and my grandmother were big readers um and so my grandmother you know she read the daily news and this is when you could buy the daily news in the store yeah every morning no matter what she spent her little 50 cent one dollar and she bought the daily news and she read the thing from front to back and i think little things like that one of the first books I ever remember seeing is a book of, about Gordon Parks. My mother had a book about Gordon Parks, the famous photographer, um, and I saw her reading it. So reading was something important I learned in that way. I also had a really unique background. I went to a daycare called United Bronx Parents. Um, it was a daycare in the South Bronx. It was founded by Evelina Antonetti. She was a Puerto Rican activist, leader in the community. And this daycare was like tremendous. This daycare, we, from three years old, from three to five years old, I went there, three, four, and five, we had sit down breakfast. 
we had sit down lunch, like you serve and you pass really? things. Wow. English and Spanish. One of my biggest memories I um, that I held was a few times a year, we would go to Sesame Place. <laughs> and so all the, like, it was like getting the coach bus and it was a small thing, but for us to get away was incredible. But the, the other piece matched it was in kindergarten, we had to remember parts of Dr. King's I Had a Dream speech. Really? So can you imagine five-year-olds, five-year-olds in the South Bronx amidst anything you look, 1990 in the South Bronx, you'll find, you know, a lot of deficit and negative things. Mm-hmm. But there were children, black and brown children in the South Bronx at United Bronx Parents in the height of all the negativity that you might look up and find about the Bronx who were practicing Dr. King's I have a dream speech and we had to practice it and practice it to say it. Now, whatever we feel about King or whatever we feel about um, uh, uh, politics, whatever, I think the notion that the belief and the commitment and the accountability that young people in these neighborhoods as, as early as five years old could do that type of thing. I think when you bring family in place, that's why for me, that kind of mutual aid and that kind of belief and that kind of work is why I um, show up as the leader that I am today. And yeah, I would love to talk a little bit more too around what that leadership was. What what are some of the things I've been doing? Well, fortunately for you and I, uh, it's my show. We can talk about whatever you and I want to talk about. And secondarily, um, you know, we do always run out of time because that's life, but we just always come right back and bring, you know, you'll come back on for a second show down the road. So we'll make it, we'll make it up. We'll get, it, we'll, we'll get into deeper stuff too. But I mean, we are going to go to quick break, but like just to see, you know, the capacity and ability, you know, I, I have children, you have children, we know that. And, you know, my youngest guy is seven. And to know that five-year-olds are, are studying that incredible speech, um, that becomes cultural to them. That becomes something that you, you're looking back as a grown man with your own children. You're looking back on that time period and how that affected you. So I know education is critically important to the work you do. So we're going to talk about that when we come back. We're going to talk about higher education. We're going to talk about you as a professor. There's so much we're going to cover. We'll be right back. This is Philanthropy and Focus. I'm Tommy D. Michael Partis is here, BCDI. Let's take a quick break. Dylan, take us to break. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you? 
you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. What a silly song. What a silly song about an attic. But it's the only song that I know of that's on a radio show that has the word attic in it. And that's my declaration. I don't know if it's true, but I'm just going to declare that it is. Michael, welcome back. Come off mute. Join me back in my attic. Let's do this. Let we I, Some of the research I did on your background and some of just knowing each other from, from, I like to say school, but our class work together. But I like to say, because I feel like a kid when I go, I have school tonight. And my kids will be like, dad, don't you have school tonight? So, so I, it's just the education pieces to talk about is critical. But let's, we, on this show, we try to just take a baseline that people understand that there is inequity. Okay, and there is inequity in access to education. And if you, if anybody wants to argue that, I don't know what to tell you. Figure it out. And go argue with somebody else because we're just going to go with some real stuff here, and we'll move on from from that. It is true. But so you've realized that there's that, and what do we? It's more about how do we react to this, and what impact can we make to make these adjustments? So that's a lot of your work has addressed that. But let's stay on. You're, you know, you're coming out of the, uh, you, you know, you've always focused on education and Let's go to your college years. Let's talk a little bit about that. So I think p- questions are really powerful. So if place and family were two things that drove me, uh, questions, really powerful questions drove me. Two powerful questions were presented to me when I, were in co- when I was in college um, that really shaped where I'm at now. Uh, I went to Fordham University, uh, Rose Hill campus. So shout out to all the Fordham Rams. Um, when I was a sophomore in college, our Black Student Union was having a, a, our first meeting of the year. We were talking about Hurricane Katrina at the time. And, you know, it's been a while now, but Hurricane Katrina, you know, devastated the Gulf, uh, particularly, you know, New Orleans, most notably. Um, and there was a lot of discussion about the lack of preparedness or responsiveness or accountability. So we're talking about how it's about, you know, there's aspects of racism, there's aspects of et cetera, et cetera. And one of my classmates says, literally to me, so what are you going to do, Michael Partis? So she says, you know, you're talking about the problems of the system and et cetera, et cetera. But what are you going to do? So she she kind of challenged you a bit, right? Like, we're, all right, big guy, you got all these answers, right? But what are you going to get? You're going to get involved? What's the story? Right. And I think that's one of the things, too. Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> uh, she called me in. You know, I think these days we would say call out, but I, I didn't feel Oh, I love that. Out. She called you She called you in. Oh, wow. So I called me in. I think I know what you're saying there, but what, is, what does that mean? She called me into the work, right? Like, yeah. there's one thing, and this is a long thread of folks who do organizing or 
activism or advocacy, there's one thing about talking it and there's another thing about what you do, right? People remember how you made them feel. People remember what you do and people will remember the choices you made in difficult times. And so she asked me to come in. And so that became like, I said, okay, you know, one of the things I did was for our Black Student Union, I was student group, I ran for vice president. And so that was important for my development. We started a lot of projects, right? Some of the projects we started, we went to the local schools and we just talked to uh, students, middle school students about where we you know where we come from, what we study, what's college like. We organized a trip to go to New Orleans mm-hmm. and do some quote unquote relief work. Some of it was just around the cleanup. Some of it was actually around, you know, political prisoners, folks that are trying to rebuild their lives. I think what it taught me by answering, answering the call to do some of the work, right? And then realizing that there's work that we just have to pick up and do. A lot of self-determination, a lot of like learning by doing became important to me. And that was attractive to me, the learning by doing. How old were you at that time? What, what, what age were you? I was 20. I was 19. I was 19 when um, I began in leadership of the Black Student Union and all the things I said, like yeah. talking to, like organizing like uh, presentations and discussions with those middle school students, organizing a trip down to New Orleans. Some of my best friends to this day uh, went along on that ride with me. Wow. Those are things that it wasn't some administrator or some leader or someone saying, hey, I need to do this. We just said, hey, we need to do this. And we organized it. So learning by doing, I didn't know all the things like what to run a show, an Excel sheet, a budget, uh, you know, we didn't PowerPoint, like we didn't know all of that. We just, we needed to do it and you learn and you get better. Um, I want to stop. I want to stop you right there. Keep that thought. But I want, listen, if you're out there listening and you have an idea and you're thinking about doing something and you're just like, well, I haven't really perfected it, man. I don't have have the, you know, I don't have the balances and the budgets and the, just friggin' do it. Like, just do it. And like, you're going to trip, you're going to stub your toe, you, you know, you're going to scrape your knees, you're going to get hurt a little bit, and then you're going to be better for it, learning by doing. I, I I, think that's critical. And that goes out to, you know, our leaders who want to start nonprofits or want to start a, a career in nonprofit. Uh, get out there, make the thing happen. And, and it ain't going to work. A lot of it's not going to work, man. It ain't, you know, it's not like some of it's just going to be wrong, totally wrong. And you know what you just did? You learned one other way not to do it. I mean, I think it was, uh, you know, I think it was Edison and it was like 10,000 different ways he tried to make the incandescent bulb. And and I could be totally butchering this and Mick Collins. I know you're listening. So Mick, go to the internet, correct me if I'm wrong, if it wasn't Edison, but I think he found like 10,000 ways not to make the incandescent bulb. He didn't say I failed. He said those were, those ways didn't work. So learn by doing. Sorry to cut you off your train of thought, but I think it's critical that they take these, these nuggets away with us, you know? And, and I think it goes back to what you opened with. A, a small group of committed folks can do so much. There's a lot that we do to say. There's a lot that we say, pardon. Um, and words are material things, like Maya Angelou told us. Words matter. But even more so, just get up and do it. And you'll be surprised if you just get up and do it and start to make the plans for doing it. People will buy in. People might almost get more annoyed with you talking to them about what you want to do, thinking, than they would about, I'm about to do what I'm going to try. Because action is inspiring, right? Like action, look at him. He did it. He did that thing, whatever that thing was. Uh, so here it is. Have a radio show, right? Yeah, I, I didn't, admit it. But this is what I'm trying to say. Like, I didn't. And you know what? I actually have another show here on the network that, so mm-hmm. that came off of just... 
you know, ideas. So we do another one called Professionals and Animal Lovers Show, all about animal advocacy. When I got to check in, Mick Collins, I knew I could count on you. He says, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. Thomas Alva Edison. Go look it out, Mick. I knew I could, uh, but but I think he may have plagiarized Tesla. All right. I don't know if he plagiarized Tesla or not. I, I <laughs> so, all right, man. So let's, so let's keep it going. So where didn't you, didn't have some relationship with Katrina at, at, at kind of in, as a historical reference to, to Selma? Wow. One of the things that happened on the trip to New Orleans, we took a road trip and it was, uh, it was called Katrina on the ground. So there were students across college students across the country who were organizing to come down and do this work, thousands of students. Um, they were replicating Freedom Summer, right? And Freedom Summer was in 1964 uh, when folks across the country uh, committed to voter registration, mm-hmm. uh, the efforts for voter registration. It was a similar idea. Yeah. If not summer, what about spring? What about folks giving up their spring break to come down? And and is do that what it was? It was spring break where kids might've gone to Cancun or Daytona or whatever kids go for spring break. They yeah. went down and did this work. Thousands of kids, thousands of students, uh, black students went down. And on the road trip, the meetup was in Selma. Right. So the meetup across the country, the first meetup place was Selma. After you meet up in Selma, then you would go to either Mississippi or the, the Gulf in, in Texas, or you would go to New Orleans. And so when we went to Selma, we crossed the Edmund Pettit, um, Pettus Bridge, which is where um, Notorious for Bloody Sunday um, in 1965, we walked across the bridge, went to the Selma Museum, um, went to church. It was really, yeah, that Selma, that Selma visit was really something that stuck with me and all the others I, I went down, down there with. Um, I think those type of things, place, right? Being in Selma, mm-hmm. um, being in, in St. Bernard's Parish in New Orleans, uh, historically Black, uh, parish, one of the oldest uh, Catholic parishes and, and, and predominantly Black areas of New Orleans. Like being in those places, the Bronx, um, Selma, they're really powerful, right? Mm-hmm. They really, really shaped me. Um, and, you know, after that, all the stuff in my bio, right? We went down there and a, a lot of things I got inspired to do place-based work. So being in the Bronx and saying Black and Latino males, how can we work on post-secondary success, mentorship, exposure to college curriculums, um, conflict resolution, um, emotional security. How as adult men, can we have a relationship and model that for young, younger uh, black and brown boys? I did that work, place-based work. Uh, South Bronx Rising Together, it was cradle to career. Um, Cradle to career, meaning from birth to career, to, you know, a living wage, uh, self-sufficient job and or career. Let me, let, me, let me ask you, so is the challenge as you've, you know, gone through and seen it all, is the challenge that these, these young boys of these communities just don't see it? They don't see leaders, like, I, I, you know, maybe they don't see professionals, they don't see people going to college, they don't see, you know, we're, we often, we say we're a product of our environments, right? And we, you know, it's what we see. Like, I, I know sometimes, like, look, I'm trying to be a good dad, and a lot of days I'm really good at, and a lot of days I suck at it. But like, I realize, like, they're looking up, like they're looking up at me. And for better or for worse, a lot of the moves I make, they're going to follow. And a lot of the moves are pretty good. You know, like, now the fact that I got my seven year old saying, Dad, when are you doing your next day of service? I want to go with you. That's great. But then when I use foul language, and I hear him repeat the word, that ain't ain't so good. 
So, so my question really is, and we can, we'll start it and then we'll come back to it after the break is like, um, is it just the lack of seeing the role models and the idols that are, are doing, you know, are having the success and that's sort of what you have to solve for in these cases? I think it's, I don't think it's perception or modeling. I think systems, uh, some of the work that I do now is about changing systems. I came to a point in my career where I said, you know, a plant, by metaphor, a plant will grow depending on what the inputs are, how you nurture it, what you feed into it, what you what conditions it's in. If you put a plant in conditions where it can't grow, kind of like, you know, the Tupac Shakur metaphor around rolls and concrete, it is persistent and amazing if in poor conditions, plants grow and thrive. But it shouldn't be the expectation. Right. I think with, with the young boys and young men, it's not the perception that, or what they see. But I think a lot of it is our systems and how it hasn't properly invested in the socio-emotional development and culturally relevant learning and in living wage working career. Systems have moved us away from those things in school, in community, and in our economy. Um, And that's why I work on systems now. It's working on systems. And if we change those systems, I think we'll see different outcomes. But many people, just like the mutual aid folks I grew up with, uh, the, the people I grew up with, they are doing that work. And maybe when we come back, we can talk yeah. a little bit about that work. That people we will. Are doing. We will. What's, what's hysterical is that, like this morning, I saw a quote uh, regarding what's going on in this country, the discussions around a woman's right to choose. And there was a two, I saw on LinkedIn, somebody quoted Tupac. So it inspired me to go to some Tupac stuff. So I know my buddy Mick Collins, you're getting a second shout out because I know Mick's a big hip hop head. So like um, two, two quotes I found from Tupac before we go to a break. So life's a test. Mistakes are lessons, but the gift of life is knowing that you made a difference. Michael Partis, you're making a difference, man, and you're going to continue doing that. And the other one, I was going to actually, I was going to go to these later in the show. This is from Pac. Also, death is not the greatest loss in life. The greatest loss is what dies inside while still alive. While you're still alive, never surrender. That's what we're talking about. Look, that's what this show is about. That's what this mission I'm on is about. Is about getting the words out there and being a part of the change, being a catalyst for what's going on. We're gonna take a quick break, Michael. I'm so jazzed you're here. We'll be right back. Howdy, I'm Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on TalkRadio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. 
You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. program is called philanthropy and focus and if you don't know we spell focus with a ph right here in the attic because when i look born in 78 i grew up listening to a lot of hip-hop tribe called quest was actually really who i was into back in the day if you don't know i don't you gotta figure it out but uh we used to say fat with a ph and i like alliteration and philanthropy starts with a ph and focus now starts with ph and i'll tell you i was texting a friend of mine last night and um, she's an artist, and I just found out she's an artist. We know each other through business. And um, we're texting, and I text her a picture now because she does some really cool work. A picture, I'm pointing to the picture I drew of myself, gang, the, uh, the caricature of Tommy D. And, uh, and then every word we, she said she was flattered on something I said, but she spelled it with a PH in front of, in front of it. And the whole conversation became with PHs. But look, Michael, um, you know, that, that thing, Nick, Mick coming in again, long live the rose that grew from concrete when no one else even cared. You know, quotes mean so much. Words have meaning. We talk about that a lot. I want to talk about, you know, we just learned about systems and, and you have to go in and change the system and, and impact the system. There's, there's a couple projects you're working on right now. We could talk about BCDI as well. But right now, I know you're raising funds for the class of 2022 at, at a local Bronx high school. And when we talked the other day, we talked about indoor air quality especially a lot of people uh, in, in the communities we're discussing um, were essential workers, our essential workers are going to work during a pandemic, no matter what. And, and so let's, you know, we could either talk about what you're doing for the funds for that class of 22 uh, and we'll get that into that air quality piece as well. So let's jump in. Uh, Tommy, thank you for um, the segue there. I think there's two things. One, in terms of education um, and in terms of young people, I think one of the most important lessons, one of the most important lessons I learned about systems was invest in our young people and invest in them in ways that make sense, not just ways that we think it has to be. So one of the things that we're doing, uh, 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 two friends of mine, uh, Sherelle Peter and Kevin Brooks, the three of us are Bronxites, you know, Kevin grew up in, in Soundview, Sherelle grew up in the West Farms area, I grew up in towards Hunts Point, we're coming together and we're raising funds for the class of 22, um, 2022, Bronx High School, uh, we're going to give four of the five students a little scholarship, but it's an investment, it is a scholarship if they're choosing to go to post-secondary so if they want to go to a two-year college four-year college it's also flexible if they're thinking about like a certificate program right if they're thinking about even maybe something else like a business or an idea the point is to invest in these graduates so folks you know i know you tag me all over the place so folks can find me on um facebook or on linkedin or wherever find me um and i'll definitely connect you to uh, what we're doing where, you know, donations are important and, and this money is going to go to these young people's dreams, right? Investing in their dreams. I think that in changing the system is understanding the way that we need to invest in young people. And 
uh, Bronx Up Next, as we call it, <laughs> the Bronx Up Next Scholarship Fund. It continues that commitment I have to place. Um, it continues that commitment I have to people who are family, friends in my network. And it continues a lot of what I learned about just education systems and doing something a little bit different, which is taking some funds and investing in a group of young people, but investing in their dreams and what the work is that they're going to do. Because no matter if they get a two-year degree, four-year degree, certificate program, start a business, start an important group, all of that is the assets, the fabric, and the connective tissue. So folks can find me on LinkedIn, find me on um, um, Facebook. I'll also have my contact information if you want to make a donation or get involved. That's one thing I'm doing. Let me stop you right there because I, I we talk about the importance of words and you said scholarship, but you use the word, if you use it once, use it seven times, use the word investment. You didn't say give, you didn't say handout, you didn't even say support, you said an investment. So think of that in terms of what our philanthropy dollars are doing, folks. It's to make an impact, it's to th that investment, right? That's investing in the future of these young people who again, to my ripple effect, you know, thing in the beginning of this show, those young people can then take their skills, their talents, their treasure, right? And their time and invest in others, right? In other social capital. And we continue to grow as a society. And that's how, that's how we're making impact. So go to that second piece you want to talk about, please. So, so yeah, people can hit me up. I think the second thing that's really important, and this is some of the work that's happening now at uh, BCDI, the Bronx Cooperative Development Initiative. Something important is that before the pandemic, 70% of Bronx workers were frontline workers. 70%, seven out of 10 Bronx sites who were employed were frontline workers. What does that mean? Who were these, you're talking about who? What, what do these people do? Talking about people who, me and you could be on Zoom, but these people have to be at yeah. their office or their work site. So I'm talking about home health aides. I'm talking about nurses, doctors, security guards, uh, teachers, um, nurses, assistants, x-ray technicians, phlebotomists, people working in like those folks, construction, those folks are frontline workers. Like they have to be at their place of work. Also the folks who run small businesses, yep. right? Whether it's the nail salon, the discount store, the takeout yeah. restaurant, yep. the, they, they don't have online sales, right? Their business is fundamentally be it's direct service. Yep. So all these folks have to physically show up to work. There's two things, Tommy, that I think it raises. One thing, what is the indoor air quality for these folks, right? We know science has taught us that COVID-19 is primarily respiratory, right? It's like what comes out of us. So we have masks, we have plexiglass, but we have to think about the quality of air circulation, right? We have to think about heating and cooling systems, windows, doors, right? All these things, ventilation. So that's one piece, right? The indoor air quality. So we've already addressed, I think, pretty um, strongly in our society, the mask and the face shields and the plexiglass. Those things are important, but the indoor air quality piece also relies on air filtration and ventilation. But the second thing at BCDI, we've learned over the last five years, we've worked with small businesses, uh, minority-owned businesses, specifically in cleaning and pest management. Now, what this was interesting for us is that it taught us around indoor air quality and how pest and cleaning could affect it. Some of it with pests is around not just 
the actual existence of the rodents or the whatever, but it's also what are the baits? What are the traps? What are the things that we're using? Similar to cleaning. Yes, the dust and the mold and all of that is important, but also what are we using to clean? So what we come to find is that it's not just about the workspace, but living space, the building. If the building is in poor condition, it will be difficult to keep your apartment free from pests. You can do all the cleaning, all the plugging up of holes. If the building is not being properly taken care of, then it will be difficult to prevent pests or to maintain it to be clean. If the building's not being repaired and there's mildew and there's mold and there's all these things, it will create poor air quality. So poor air quality, the Bronx is known for its outdoor poor air quality because of the South Bronx, because of the Cross Bronx Expressway. But indoor air quality, particularly for people who are working on the front lines and for people who are living in affordable housing or living in um, particular conditions, their indoor quality is important. So it's a safety piece around folks who have to go to work. They have to take public transportation. They have to sit in Ubers. They have to sit in, in, in places with others. And think about folks who are in affordable housing or think about people who have to stay indoors. Children, mm-hmm. right? Infants, right? Infants, um, mothers, postpartum, and when they're, um, when, they're, when they're pregnant, right? These folks have to sit in indoor air quality. We know the Bronx has poor health outcomes, quote unquote. Right. We know that there are challenges with maternal health, right? Um, our great Bronx Borough president, uh, past Ruben Diaz Jr. and Kerman, Vanessa Gibson have had incredible work on maternal health. There's just even hypothesis. So we're thinking about our children and our mothers and, and people who have to be indoors and how that indoor air quality is important. I think this is really key. And what I want to offer is that I think supporting the small businesses, specifically not the national businesses, great for them, but the small businesses who do pest management, who do cleaning, who do air filtration and ventilation. I think our society and our policy really needs to um, seriously support those businesses developing the workforce for cleaning, for pest management and air filtration, and as well as supporting the businesses, right? It's an incredible expense for a small business owner to do those ventilation and those other kind of repairs. Where's the matchmaking? How can we do something that's good for the society? We need to upgrade those things. And how do we make sure that the small business owner who lives in that neighborhood, who's been there for decades, how do we make sure those folks are the ones that receive the benefits Mm -hmm. and the jobs, the jobs that will need to be a pest technician, the jobs that we'll need in cleaning, the jobs that we need in in HVAC and air filtration. This is a green economy approach. And so what I want to, the second thing is, you know, to look out for the work of BCDI. But for the last four to five years, we've been working with, those type of businesses in the Bronx. And, you know, I think there's a a call to action for policymakers, stakeholders. We say people love, pray, and live in the Bronx to think about indoor air quality, to think about the green economy, why it's important for our recovery, but it's also important for our prosperity and what we do moving forward. And so we need a call to action. Um, And I I invite folks to check out BCDI, uh, Bronx Future, on Instagram, on Twitter, um, on Facebook, it's um, Bronx Cooperative Development Initiative. Check out our work to learn more about this piece around the workforce, the green workforce, the green businesses. These are small businesses that are green, and ultimately the policy piece around housing um, and why we need to have a wraparound approach to indoor air quality. I really encourage folks to reach out, look at what we're doing, um, and let, let's begin to be the community to begin to address one of the biggest 
what I think is socioeconomic challenges. And let's make sure this time the system doesn't leave out regular Bronxite who could do those jobs, who could own those businesses, and who could make those policies. Systems, those Bronxites can do those jobs. Those Bronxites own those businesses currently. The entrepreneurs can own the future ones. And we have the policymakers that could do it. So please check out the work of BCDI as we move. Give me the, the uh, give me the BCDI website real quick. Shout it out. BCDI.NYC. BCDI. On social media, BCDI.NYC. On social media, look for us on um, Hat Bronx Future. And reach I, out to me individually to talk more about um, this green economy approach to yeah. indoor inequality. I, so we're going to go a quick break. So I'm sharing bcdi.nyc on, on Facebook. If you're checking us out on Facebook, go to talkingalternativebroadcasting.com. Uh, dot, dot com. On Facebook, Talking Alternative Broadcasting. And at Bronx Future is, is how we're going to follow this other stuff. All right. But when we come back, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Michael, I want to talk about really the, the future of some of this stuff, who you need to meet with, and really – you know, the future of BCDI, the work you're doing there, but the future of Michael Partis and really who you need to connect with, who we can connect you with and how we're going to, you know, work together. Uh, this is Philanthropy in Focus. I'm Tommy D. Michael P. is right there. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's Tommy D., the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Calling all pet lovers... Avengers, assemble! On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. That's uh Look, it's not a question. I guess it's a statement. Cut through the static, man. Join me in the attic. All right, listen. Um, this is kind of the lightning round of the program. And what we were just kind of you and I are chatting about on the Zoom chat is perfect because, you know, I, there's this meme right now on social media. And, um, you know, I, I, I have four children and a lot of people will say to me, oh, four children. <laughs> Wait till the college years. Maybe all four of my kids are college students. I don't know yet. You know, maybe they're not. I think if you go with the numbers, my my, my impression is not everybody should go to a four-year institution, right? 
I, I have a young man who comes here to fix uh, the drain in my house and the pipes in my house. And he was doing side work on top of working for somebody else. And he was running his own business on the side. And he had to quit working for the other guy because he was so busy as a plumber that he built his own business. Young man, he's busy as hell. And now I can't even get him to my house to do any work anymore. Plumbers, carpenters, electricians. There's so many different vocations that somebody can come in, go into. If you are college bound and that's your gig, that's incredible. Go for it. I'm just saying it doesn't really mean everybody should do it. So let's talk a little bit about vocational schools. We talk education. Education doesn't just mean liberal arts, Michael. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the future of uh, of young people, maybe. And, and again, not just young people. I'm going to go in a union. I'm going to become an electrician and then I'm going to own an electrical contracting company. Now I'm an entrepreneur. So let's let's go there and let's uh, let's bring it home. Thank you, Tommy. I think I think one piece I want to lift up is um, something we call advanced manufacturing. So advanced manufacturing is, you know, really just a way to, oh, sorry, like equipment and machinery that is smaller, right? So we don't need the same kind of huge footprint for a plant or factory. We can much smaller, much leaner uh, produce prototypes. So think about V like e-vehicles, right? Can we make a prototype for an e-scooter? or a drone, right? Can we make a prototype for a drone? Or we just talked about pest management, mousetraps. I right. want to do an innovative mousetrap. Um, Wait a minute, so you want to you wanna literally make a better mousetrap? Like that's like a thing people say. You want to I, I have to give a shout out to the young people of the Bronx. Uh, <laughs> at BCDI, we have a innovation factory and we have a fab lab, very small fab lab. And about three years ago, some of the young people said, why don't we take this advanced, fan, you know, 3D printer and um, CNC cutter, the, these equipment, why don't we make a mousetrap that doesn't kill the mouse, but you can actually let it go. That's um, so good because you were, gonna, you were about to get anybody who's a friend of my other show, Professionals and Animal Lovers show, was about to beat me up real hard. So I, so then we're not, we're not even killing the mice. Shout out to those kids in the Bronx. Shout out to those young people, man. Yeah, because now we're, we're you know, we're helping the pest and then we go release them into a field where it's nice and cheerful and they can be a mouse, you know? <laughs> Precisely. Um, so advanced manufacturing, I think, is really important for the future. Uh, literally, e-vehicles, um, drones, also innovation. So, you know, we talked about cleaning. What is the type of cleaning um, equipment that we're going to use to sanitize? What is the type of uh baits i literally said this earlier the type of baits and the type of traps that we'll use for pests what a window is going to look like in the future what is air monitoring right those devices what is that going to be i think one thing that's important is that advanced manufacturing hubs and i actually want to propose that there's advanced manufacturing hubs in every borough and those advanced manufacturing hubs one for the very technical jobs like you kind of mentioned um you know, HVAC jobs and, you know, heating and cooling and those things like technical jobs, people can continue to get the training. The two-year colleges have been amazing in that work. Many nonprofits have been amazing in that work, but I think we need advanced manufacturing hubs where those stakeholders come together for the learning. But I think the other piece is that if you're a small business, where's your R&D? Where's your research and development? Like, where do you go to tinker to try. If you're a business owner and your business is primarily service, where is that secondary source of revenue? Where it might be a product or like where do you go to even begin that? So where, How do you so find where is that? So where is that? I think it's in the advanced manufacturing hubs that I believe our policymakers um, and even private sector folks. I think the hubs that we need to make 
in partnership with our K-16 school system, but very specifically, two-year schools, government, and perhaps some philanthropy need to come together. And in every borough of New York City, we need an advanced manufacturing hub that has two parts. One part of the hub is where people can get trained for these green economy jobs that I mentioned, where entrepreneurs who are going to make those products and those things I mentioned, they are able to do some R&D and actual small businesses. Let's not leave them behind. There are a number of small businesses, specifically minority-owned businesses, that would get left behind. Everybody's going to make this wealth. They're going to figure out battery. Right, right, right. Somebody, somebody's getting paid, right? Somebody's, somebody's getting, getting paid. Somebody's, yeah, right. And the intellectual property, right, should be with the people who do the servicing, who might have the idea for the new product. But often, they'll get left behind. Like the intellectual property, what you learn from actually being technical, somebody else is going to monetize it. Mm-hmm. And often, it is not the black and brown people of mm-hmm. places like the Bronx. Somebody else will monetize it and will be stuck only in service. And I think the correction here is that the R&D, the R&D, the R&D, the research and development. And I want to give a shout out to my colleagues who have been talking about this um, at BCDI. Uh, you know, Gabe, I want to give him a lot of, lot of respect for thinking about this. But the advanced manufacturing hub in each borough, public policy, our policymakers from your borough presidents, your city council, your state and government, they need to come together with our K-16 system. So like a lot of those young people that our Bronx Up Next fund, is my personal Bronx Up Fund Next is going to invest in alongside the existing business owners. Research and development and green economy training. I think the last piece is that in that space, you also will be able to, you know, folks can learn, right? Just because they don't have the degree or they don't want to go to the school, it doesn't mean they can't learn. And we actually need that political and civic education it's very, very important to have that political and civic education. Spend a minute on that. Spend, spend a minute right there. What? What? Because I don't have that education, man. And I, I, you know, I think a lot of people don't. And the political and civic, how the system works, how things work. And I'm, I'm getting a little taste of it from the work I'm doing on our other show because we're talking about anti-puppy mill bills. There's an anti-puppy mill bill up in Albany right now in New York. So um, how do you think, it, you, you know, not to be silly, but like a kind of a crash course or, or, you know, for, for folks to get involved in that. I mean, you know, I was a finance major. I didn't do any political science, any of this kind of stuff, civics or anything, you know, that this kind of awareness growing up. I would also say, I think the folks who are more into politics or policy need to take a finance class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> uh, that, they need to take a finance class too. But I think popular education is key. What are the ways that we engage, that we share information and that we make sure we have critical discussion. Mm-hmm. Share the information, make it accessible, and make it discussion, right? I think that's key. And then apply it to what we do. So learning about, you know, there are technical things about how a bill is passed, how it's introduced, what's the voting process. Maybe there, I think there's a piece around these technical aspects, mm-hmm. but ultimately everyday life. Why is it that when, when I grew up in the South Bronx, one morning I could wake up, and a place could be empty. The lot could be empty. And the next day, there's a sign. It's about to be built. And I would have no idea. I'd be like, why? Like, how did that happen? Who made that decision? Mm. Those gaps, I think, are important. The civic education, you know, just one thing that we're doing, uh, we have economic democracy for uh, academies, where we're taking a group of young people in four Bronx high schools, and they're learning about planning, urban planning, they're learning about economic development. They're learning about different. These are these are, these are K through twelve. What what high school? Pardon high school. Yep. right no. now in BCI, four high school piloting this. 
for high schools who are connected to a community-based organization. So each high school already has a relationship to a community-based org. The org, the high school students, the administration, we are bringing them through a learning journey on different ways of running the economy, different ways of organize, different ways of doing organizing, different ways of doing uh, politics. So they're learning the formal system, but also learning about alternatives. I think, and you know, you can see more on our website about that. I think that's one piece to your civic part. Mm-hmm. My last thing, Tommy, really yeah. quick, I think on the work front, that indoor air quality, green economy, advanced manufacturing piece is important. I think personally, and I want everybody to check out BCDI, Bronx Future, bcdi.nyc. Personally, I'm really interested in vocational schools. Mm-hmm. Me and uh, some good friends of mine are thinking about vocational schools that build that career, <clears throat> that those young people that we're investing in Bronx up next. Like, how does that part of the economy, how does it not get lost? We could do civic learning and technical training. We could do both. And my hope personally is to move forward with that vocational schools for a green economy. This is incredible. Michael, as I said earlier, we got to bring you back on. I have another show in my mind. Uh, it's called The Important Conversation with Tommy D. And, and because that's my name, I have to host it. So I came up with the idea and now I got to be the host of it. So we're going to do that. We're going to kick that off pretty soon. And it'll be important conversations like this going more in depth. I appreciate you, my brother. I appreciate your friendship, man. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being part of what I'm doing. Thanks for educating me. Um, I'm going to just make it a great day. Have a great weekend, everybody. There is one, two, two things I got to leave you with before we run out of time. Uh, the New York City Imagine Awards applications, the deadline is Monday night, uh, May 9th, this Monday coming. Go to nycimaginewards.com. If you run an organization or are affiliated with an organization that serves uh, the community in the five boroughs of New York City, get involved with that. And then next week on the show, the Veterans Yoga Project. Deb Jeanette will be here as kind of kicking off what I'm going to do a lot with the veteran nonprofits leading into the summertime. And we'll talk about that. That's the Long Island Railroad. Apparently that's my ride. I got to go. <laughs> we got to get out of here. Dylan, great job on the producing. Michael, thanks for your friendship, bro. Thanks for being here, man. Make Thank you. See you. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. 
Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Uninformed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 